breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty. Mornings on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Lewis R. Avalone in studio for the vacationing Aaron McCarty. Uh we were just talking during the break that uh well before we got started actually. Um uh, Shreveport City Marshal, uh James Jefferson. He wants his badge back. Yeah, he we we talked to him last week, um, when we found out that the body camera footage had been released. We uh went and got the went and got the footage and um and it was difficult at first to determine what Councilman James Green was saying. Uh and because he he was talking in such circles. He wasn't being forthright with the officer. He it's was because being, it was none of the officer's business. Yeah, he was. Or being, you're not paying attention to was, the video. Yeah, he was being very evasive, um, very condescending to the officers. That's because he's a certain person, Mike. Uh, and and so, but there was there I've, after several. Uh, honestly, after several viewings, I I, I finally got the picture uh, because they, they were talking about two different things. For some reason, he has a Louisiana State Police patch. I don't think he has a badge. I think he has a patch yeah, it's from the from the Louisiana right. State Police. And so is he that has like, that apparently sewn on the outside of his wallet. So is that a patch you would put on your uniform? If you were a Louisiana State Police officer, you'd put it on? We actually spoke with Cordell Williams, uh, Major Cordell Williams, with the Louisiana State Police on uh, on Friday. And he said those are those are issued uh, along with the card. It's kind of just an honorary thing. It, it's, it's, it, it, it holds no authority. The patch. The patch. And it's not, you know, it's not deemed a, you're part of the Louisiana State Police or anything like that. I don't know if it's for supporters. But it isn't, and, and he was very specific with us on Friday. Uh, A, he was unaware that Councilman Green had this patch. Don't know, he didn't know where he got it. And he, he said that it is not, and he was very emphatic, it is not to be used to garner any favors or to be flashed, you know, if you get stopped. Uh, which is what James Jefferson told us. Regarding the badge. Regarding the badge. And it's not really a commission card. It's, it's, it's a get out of jail free card. It's, it's an honorary, uh, like, like support of the, you know, the city marshal's office. And so. Well, I'd like the city marshal to produce this card. What well, does it look what, like? Yeah. I, I'd like to see a copy of, of what it is. Um, the, I think Aaron, Submitted a request to say, I want to know who all has these. I don't know if he'll, if they'll be able, if there were records kept even because, uh, the previous marshal, uh, Mr. Caldwell, uh, issued those like to pastors and to other people and dignitaries, uh, in, in the city 
and I don't know if records were kept. We'll find out. Yeah, I mean, but, it's the, not... but the city marshal, the current city marshal, was unaware that Mr. Green had one. They expire on the expiration of the term of the existing marshal that issued them, which, uh, you know, Charlie Caldwell's term would have ended in 2026. So that that could very well still be active. Um, but but he, he it's not intended to be used in the way that it was used in that traffic stop. And City Marshal Jefferson said, no, he wants this back. He, that's not how it was. He's not representing the marshal's office. God, Councilman Green is not representing the marshal's office in a favorable light at all. I think it's very curious, though, that the marshal wants both the badge and the commission card back. That's suggestive of the fact that those that badge and that commission card together collectively isn't valid. That it is, you know, because if it was in fact still valid if it was in fact still in force why would the marshal want it back because i i think he didn't issue it they're issued upon their discretion um but if it's being abused then the user no longer has the privilege of of you know being able to own that and i think the other side of this is we don't know to whom marshal jefferson has reached out to 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 whom else right. Marshall Jefferson has reached out to to say, I want the badge and I want the commission card back. Because if it was, in fact, issued under the former Marshall, uh, Charlie Caldwell, mm-hmm. Marshall Jefferson may not be in agreement right. with that policy exactly. uh, or whatever that practice was that Marshall Caldwell uh, may have had in place for many years with respect to distributing both the badge and the commission card to pastors in our community. Right. Um, um, Mr. Jefferson is is was elected to finish Charlie Caldwell's term through 2026, and then there will be a you know a regular election at that point for for the city marshal's office. Uh, so that that commission and and badge that was issued by Charlie Caldwell could still be valid because. Technically, this is Caldwell's term, so that card could still be valid uh, because there was some question involved about whether. Look, if that's if that's expired, then he could be charged with impersonating an officer, which is a felony, with felony offense. But it's it's in all likelihood still valid uh, because it would be finishing out Charlie Caldwell's term if that's who issued it, and well, I would imagine it is because <laughs> James Jefferson knows knew nothing about it prior to last Friday. Yeah, this the would be body cam footage was released. This would be a big surprise to Councilman Green because, of course, he told the officers that whomever gave him that badge and that commission card told him that he didn't have to explain. Why he has yeah, it. and I and and he was and he also mentioned when asked, and I think he was referring to the Louisiana State Police patch when the Shreveport police officer rightly asked him, "Why do you have this?" You know, you're obviously not on the Shreve, uh, on the Louisiana State Police force, sure. And and James Green said, "Well, I can get who give this to who gave this to me. I can get them on the phone." So. That's that's he was referring to the LSP patch when he made that comment. And and I go back to and again and not to disparage Chief Whitehorn, 
but he is the former head of the Louisiana State Police. The question is, is that who Councilman Green was referring to insofar as he could get That's a good Chief point. Whitehorn on the phone yeah. to explain why he has it? That's a good point. Yeah, KTBS reports that they spoke with uh, uh, James Jefferson just this week and said that he wants the badge and the commission card back. So eh, we'll, we'll see what happens. And we'll also need to find out if uh, he gets his tent corrected to comply with uh, with the regulation. Well, that could be very costly. That'll be not no. You just pull the tent. Just off. pull the whole. Yeah. Just pull it off it completely. Redone. Yeah. Okay. And it's just the driver's side and passenger side, the front windows that have to be lighter. You can you can black out the back windows. Okay. But the driver's side and passenger side have to be a lighter too. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see if that's done. Uh, you you got appointed to a mayor's commission. Is that correct? I know. I found out yesterday. We're going to talk about that after the break. Mike and McCarty. 101.7. Back to the big stories of the day with Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel. Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Avalone in studio with us this morning, and uh, the Shreveport Mayor has announced a, a committee on the, this capital improvements committee. And uh, when I was reading through this list, Louis, imagine my surprise. I know you texted me, and you are like, <laughs> "Dude, you are on this list." <laughs> I didn't know. I, I knew I was nominated for it. I, okay, but I didn't know. It became official, or that I was selected. So That's part of it. So tell me about the committee. We're going to have Mayor Arsenault coming in here in about twenty minutes or so, and uh, he's going to tell us about it. But tell me, so what are you guys going to be doing? Well, I believe the first meeting is scheduled for tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to learning that as well. In past years, when there has been a proposed bond initiative, there have been bond committees. Mayor Perkins uh, is a perfect example. However, those committee meetings were rather secretive insofar as none of us, especially those in the media, knew exactly what was being discussed behind closed doors. Why were certain projects being prioritized over others, for example? What was that discussion like? And very frankly, there were some complaints by members of those committees that they really didn't even meet on a regular basis, mm-hmm. that it was more for show. It was more for the oh, image what we're doing. to say, well, for the administration, the previous administration, That's what I mean. the, pre- yeah, the, the Perkins administration doing. to say, we went to the citizens mm-hmm. and we asked, we had a committee and, and we asked their input and we wanted their opinions and it shaped exactly what is on the ballot with respect to these projects that are going to be funded with these bond funds. So I certainly don't expect that under an arsenal administration. I expect right. complete transparency and a very active committee, however it might be organized. Well, and I'm sure Mayor Arsenault would hope for a better outcome on his bond election than Perkins got on his. 
I mean, I think there was a referendum against the Perkins administration. What, five out of six failed? Yeah, I mean, look, if you don't trust the leader, which in this case would be the mayor, Mm -hmm. you're not going to vote for a bond initiative because you don't trust his team to do what's right, to to be prudent, to be fiscally responsible with your money. And why give someone more of your money if you feel like they're not being careful with the money you've already given them? And frankly, Mayor Arsenault has an uphill battle because of this city council staff controversy, the way the money has been dispersed. People are, are frustrated with this. And uh, our own Aaron said, I'm not voting for a bond proposal if James Green is still council chairman. But, you know, part of that, and, and I get that, and I think that resonates with a lot of folks, but I think it's very important to distinguish the city council from the mayor insofar as the mayor is asking for the citizens of Shreveport to support this bond initiative. Right. Good you know, point. But at the same time, again, if you don't trust your leadership, folks aren't going to trust you with their money. Well, Mayor Arsenault has a chance to uh, talk with us. He'll, he'll come in in about 10 minutes from now with Mike and McCarty. Lewis, our Avalonian studio, 101.7 FM. Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault joining us in the studio. A lot of questions uh, that we're going to address with the mayor, including city council, his new uh, study committee for the bond proposal, and uh, revenue, just a lot of things we want to catch up on. And mayor's in studio. Next, Micah McCarty with Lewis. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault joining us in studio this morning. Mayor, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. I, I texted I texted Tom the other day and I didn't get a reply. I was like, well, doggone. I texted him again late in the afternoon. Didn't hear back. Then I looked at my contacts and I said, well, I've got two numbers. I was texting the wrong number. <laughs> Tom's like, no, that's not that's not the right one. So thank you for replying when I finally texted the right number. Uh, we appreciate you being in. A lot of things going on. Um, I, I want to catch up on a lot of stuff. But I want to talk about this committee that you've put together um, for the to study the bomb proposal. Tell us about this committee, which our guest host is on. Yes, he is. Um I uh, I feel like it is time for the people of Shreveport to decide to make an investment again in our infrastructure. We really haven't made a significant investment since about 2014. That's nine years, and a lot of things can go bump in the night uh, in, a, in a period of nine years. So, and have. And, and they have. I mean, drive around the streets, and, and uh, we just have infrastructure needs. One of the things Shreveport has been typically very good through its history is continuing to make investments in its infrastructure. Now, there are exceptions to that, but generally, particularly with streets and roads and arteries, we've done a really good job of uh, avoiding some of the huge traffic delays that you see in other cities our size and larger because we have anticipated 
uh, growth and we have continued to make investment. And we've had a period now of uh, almost 10 years where we really haven't done that. And it, it seems to me it's time to consider doing that. But uh, the best way to do that is to get information, to get opinion from citizens to help put together what the projects ought to be on a proposed bond issue and to have a committee that is really not just window dressing, mm-hmm. but actually will mm-hmm. have, have input. And so I asked each of the council members uh, to submit two names uh, to me. And, and as I explained to them, they weren't names from which I would choose. They would be names that would be appointed. And so each each council member has submitted. Uh, there's there's one I'm still waiting on, but the, each council member uh, has submitted okay. two names. Uh, Mr. Avalone was one uh, that was suggested, I believe, by Councilman Butcher, and uh, uh, and he made some really good choices. That way, I'm getting a geographical balance and a racial balance, and then I have I, I'm appointing I have appointed five people. So the total will be 19 people. I asked uh, Larry Clark, who is the chairman emeritus, the chancellor emeritus at LSUS, mm-hmm. to uh, to chair it. And uh, part of that is I have a long-standing friendship and relationship with Dr. Clark. And in addition to that, uh, he has chaired several different committees in Shreveport of diverse groups of people and has handled those beautifully. So I thought he was kind of a perfect person to draw this diverse group of people together to move toward a goal of coming up with a list of projects that would be uh, in the bond election. And actually, and how many, how much? Um now, they won't be writing totally on a blank slate in that we'll have um, department heads and members of the administration that are saying, these are our views about priorities. These are the things that we, we think you ought to look at. But I've had people said, I've had some news people ask me, well, you know, what are the projects that you really think ought to be in there? And, and I, my response has been the same. I have some opinions. Mm-hmm. Those opinions will get expressed through the time, but I do not want to start the process by saying, this is what I want. Now, would you please bless it? Uh, that's not, that's not how I want this committee to operate. I want them to, to know that they have a real place at the table and that their opinions and their priorities are important to us, important enough that I'm not going to say, this is what I want. See what, see how you like it. Uh, so it really is intended to be a ground up, uh, citizen committee. Uh, their meetings will be public. Uh, they'll be open to the public. They're going to have, I believe, two particular town hall kind of meetings. So will the public be able to ask questions and provide input? The public will be able to provide to provide input and ask questions, yes. Now, as with any public comment, uh, you don't necessarily get an answer to your comment. Sure. Uh, and, and, but really, we're, we're going to leave that... a lot of times, that, being heard is important. We're going to leave that to Dr. Clark. Uh, he is a very able... Uh, leader of a meeting and manager of a meeting and that's one reason that that we chose uh, that I chose him and I really believe that this will be a process where citizens will feel like their views have been heard now I I, I know we 
we've talked about the city council business. Your current mayor, you have been a city council member. You understand the workings of the city council. Uh, a lot of people aren't happy right now. And a lot of people uh, may incorrectly take it out on your bond proposal. How do you address people that say, I'm not voting for a bond proposal if, say, James Green is chairman? He, well, I... Uh, I, I know you uh, council say. council relationships come and you know come and go, and there are times when the council gets along that that those are good times. Uh, it it uh, I I think that the the council will end up this well the way this process will work the committee will end up making some recommendations. Those recommendations are to the city council. Okay. The city council will then, what we're hoping to do, the city council will call an election, but will also have a resolution that will say, this is what we're going to use this money for, uh, with dollar, with dollar amounts. And then they will call the election. And at that point, I, I hope that I'll have some council members helping me to convince the public that this is something that they, they should strongly consider and vote for. But I'm going to be out there selling. And, uh, when, when the monies come in and when the bonds are sold, then it'll be my administration that will be shepherding those funds. And so I really, you know, for better or worse, I think they're going to, the person that they need to trust the most is me. Okay. Lewis? Yeah, no, I was, that was one of my questions. Of course, Aaron is on vacation, but her message resonates with a lot of listeners who say, I'm not voting for a bond proposal if James Green, for example, and, and the larger issue there is if the citizens don't trust the city council. But what I'm hearing you say is, hey, if you don't trust the city council, that's okay. That's your opinion. But the mayor's office will be... We've got to move the city forward. Well, I, I, you know, there's an old saying, you don't want to cut your nose off to spite your face. And uh, and I, I think that sometimes we have, uh, if we have an emotional reaction to a particular event... Uh, we can get in that frame of mind. And what, what I hope to do is to have a, a calm and rational approach to these really are our priorities. These are things that we need to do to move the city forward. And we need to move the city forward regardless of who the mayor is, regardless of who the members of the city council are, uh, because this is for our city. This is a, this is the citizens bond issue. This is not Tom Arsenault's bond issue. This is not the city council's bond issue. Uh, we will we'll propose it, but once those things are passed, these are investments that the citizens are making. I'm not putting the money in. The taxpayers are putting the money in, and they're the ones who deserve to have these projects. So an auditing of those funds, the spending of those funds, let's say the, the voters of Shreveport approve the bond initiative. Who is responsible for the accounting of those dollars? Will that be your office or will that be the city council? Uh, it'll be our it'll it'll be our finance department. Uh and and of course the external auditor keeps you and and your bond council, you know, you, you have to when you issue bonds, you borrow money. Okay? And there are covenants in those bonds where you have to covenant that we're gonna do things a certain way. We'll have certain reserves, we'll have 
um, we'll spend this money only on these things and the uh, the trustee for the bondholders holds you accountable for that we we get uh, I, I get notices on a regular basis. We need this report. We need that report. We, we, we find you short in this area or we don't have this report. You need to get it to us. So uh, those funds are very carefully watched, not just within the city, but outside the city because we have a relationship with the, with the people who loaned us the money. So there's some safeguards in place, obviously. A lot, of, a lot of safeguards, and I don't think you've got any administration that has had any difficulty with uh, with the expenditure of the money and, and actually using the money for what the bond issue says it was used for. You can't, you can't really mix and match it. The reason for the resolution is that's kind of a political contract between the people and the city council that says when you pass these propositions we're going to use the money for this that gives us flexibility let's just say a current example is night street night street's been in a bond issue the problem is it was in a bond issue that didn't have enough money allocated to night street to do night street so uh we're looking for a fix to that but Aaron, are you listening <laughs> I, I i especially i especially brought this up for aaron uh, because I, I was obligated to ask. If, I, if I, knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, and and you know, Nice Street is one of the things that may that may be in there. But we're also looking for another solution to Nice Street. But for example, suppose we have a project that we think will cost four million dollars, but it's going to, but it ends up costing only three million dollars. We have a million dollars if if we've tied that in the proposition, we can't use that money for anything else. So if we have one that needs a million and one that is that saved a million, we can't move that money. So that's why mm-hmm. you'll find the bond proposition language is broader than the resolution. We're talking with Mayor Tom Arsenault. Can you hold with us? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Abalone in studio. 101.7. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarthy on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault in studio. Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Avalone in for Aaron. Mayor, you mentioned a moment ago, we just have a couple of minutes here uh, before the news. You mentioned you have some suggestions and some ideas for the bond proposal. What 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 is on your wish list? Mostly it'll be, uh, it'll be some major, major streets, uh, perhaps some recreation and public ser- uh, public safety, uh, issues. Mm-hmm. Those will be, my, most of mine are going to be bread and butter kind of, uh, issues, uh, th- that to me, the, the best bond proposals are those that, um, that address your basic physical needs and we have enough basic physical needs that will take up a lot of it. Uh, there are a couple of potential, uh, ideas out there, uh, that are, uh, that may be appropriate to have a single proposition for that. Uh, the last time, the last time I recall that we did that was with Fairgrounds Field and that it wasn't part of a parks and recreation uh, proposal. It was its own standalone. So the question was, the citizens, do you want to build this stadium or do you not? And uh, the answer was yes. And it turned out that the citizens were right. I was really kind of skeptical about that. I was on the council at the time. 
but that's the kind of thing that this committee will help us to structure. Well, you know, how quickly would these projects, I guess, when would dirt be turning on these projects? Because there are projects from the last bond proposition, uh, such as the uh, substations uh, for the Shreveport Police Department. We haven't heard any progress on those projects. So a lot of folks may be wondering, okay, when's those projects going to get started? And if we approve this bond proposition, when will those get started? I can answer the substations quickly because uh, we have just received the donation for the location of one up on, on North Market Street. And so now now we have the land, we're able to begin design. And then there's going to be one up on Monkhouse, the old foremost dairy site. Uh, and we already own that property. So we're still looking for the third the third site. But it, it takes a year or two from the time you pass a bond issue until... Uh, until you actually Start sell the bond, you sell the bonds. Yeah. You got to get the design. I, you, you can't really design until you have the bond money because that comes out of the bond money. So there mm-hmm. is a there is a lead time, which is why it's important to do this in 2024. All right, we got Mayor Tom Arsenault in studio. Uh, you will hold with us after the news. I appreciate I sure will. that. Looking forward to talking with you some more. One hundred one seven. One hundred one seven FM, seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty with Lewis R. Avalone in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty in studio with Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault. Uh, Tom recently appointed a committee to for the bond proposal study, uh, but it's interesting that you made the comment that you asked council members to each appoint two. And those weren't recommendations. You said those are appointees. That's correct. Yeah, I wanted the. I wanted to make sure. Ultimately, the decision on this bond, um, what goes into a bond package, or whether we go forward with a bond package, is a city council decision. They'll have to vote on it. So, I wanted to make sure that each council member felt that uh, he or she had the. Uh, had had a voice and had people from their districts mm-hmm. that were uh, a part of the committee, not just expressing opinions. So you get a cross section of the city. I do, yeah, and, and that that gives the geographical spread that you uh, that you want. And then I added a few. I added a few people. Um, How many people total are going to be on the committee? There'll be nineteen. 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 So fourteen. Fourteen selected by the city council, basically, and then I have appointed five. Okay. And uh, you're waiting on a couple more. Is that correct? I'm waiting on one. I'm waiting on one. One pair. Okay. But I am assured that that will come. Uh, last hour, we talked a little bit about some projects, um, and we mentioned you mentioned Fairgrounds Field, but not in this in, in this aspect. Um, what's the latest on the demolition of Fairgrounds Field? Uh, right now, I'm, I have it on hold, uh, and we'll we'll uh, pick it up. Uh, I, the uh, one of the reasons that I have it on hold is simply that the uh, we're looking at the Rev Entertainment project, mm-hmm. and uh, it—that's my it, next it, question. Yeah, it it would certainly be demolished as a part of the Rev Entertainment project because they that that will be parking for the new facility. Uh, if if, uh, if if we go forward with Rev, and 
Uh, we are, as you know, we engaged a company called Baker Tilly, which is an international consulting firm that has experience in these kinds of things. Uh, we've now had one meeting with them. We have another meeting tomorrow uh, with them uh, to evaluate the feasibility and how to finance it and you know because the one the one thing that i did specify for them is that i'm not willing to put this on a general obligation bond so this will not be supported by property taxes and it 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 has to sustain itself we have to have a way to finance it without additional property taxes uh and so that's that's why we brought in baker tilly uh the council approved them um and, uh, and, and where and are they, they on their study <clears throat> we uh the the first phase of that study we uh is supposed to be completed within eight weeks from last week so about seven weeks from now we so should they're have just that. getting started they are just getting started yeah okay. it took us a little while to uh to get the contract done, but uh, uh, we lit a fire under the appropriate people, and the, the fire got put out. And their objective <laughs> is to is to uh, I mean, obviously a feasibility study. Is it? They're going to do some They're going to do some economic study, but also help us with uh, how to arrange the financing of it. Um, It'll probably be an economic development district, and and as a result of that, you have some tax dollars that will flow into it uh, as a result of the construction. And uh, it's it's a fairly complicated financial structure because we're not using general obligation bonds. Mm-hmm. And I think they're uh, – I am very optimistic that we're going to have some real positive uh, announcements, hopefully by the end of the year. But it's very interesting that you say this needs to – support itself so i think a lot of citizens may be concerned that this is another cross bayou debacle or boondoggle so to speak or this is similar to the nba g league that was proposed uh, in previous years where there was going to be tens of millions of taxpayer dollars city dollars that were necessary to jumpstart jumpstart the project well, it, it, there'll be a significant public investment uh, in this. It just won't be supported by general obligation bonds, and and so that takes a lot of the uh, the city will not put its well, as they say its full faith and credit behind behind this. It'll the the, the project will have to support itself if, it's, if it supports itself. And uh, I will say this: the rev entertainment people are really high on Shreveport. And they really believe and are, and I think are going to be willing to make significant investments themselves in this. And that's a positive, very positive development. So I'm I'm still very, I'm I'm still very optimistic about it. It's a very big project and therefore it takes, we want to take our time. You don't, you don't want to rush into premature announcements until we're really ready to go. And if, and if you look at what they're doing in, but Arlington, Arlington. And in other markets, I mean, they've been extremely successful. They've done similar projects to this in a number of markets smaller than Arlington, the Dallas-Fort Worth mm-hmm. area, that have been very successful. And uh, and I'm planning to go and take a look at some of those. So that, that, that's exciting. I, I do. I hope it. I hope it comes to fruition. I think it it, it could change the the landscape. No pun intended. Of that entire area. Yes, we we. I believe you know, it isn't. It is not about a baseball stadium. It is about the transformation of a part of our town that can that can use the redevelopment. 
Absolutely. Where the city already has a substantial investment, the independent stadium, for example. Well, on the fairgrounds itself, you know, so yeah, we have a, we, it is in our best interest to make that a positive. And you can imagine how, uh, how much of an advertisement it is for a, a redevelopment or restoration of the city of Shreveport to drive for all that traffic on I-20 to pass this magnificent new, uh, facility. So if we can, if we can make it happen, it'll be a very exciting project. And you mentioned earlier, Lewis, some of the previous sports projects that did not pass, did not, or were not successful. Uh, Tom, how is this Rev project different from those? Well, I think it's different in that it, it isn't just a sports complex. Um, uh, they're, they're plan, they're hoping to have occupancy of the facilities that are going to be constructed over 300 days of the year. So that is much broader than than a baseball team or a basketball team or a football team. And then to make the space much nicer for, say, events at Independence Stadium, events at Hirsch, uh, one of the things we're going to look at in the bond issue is perhaps doing some renovation at Hirsch. Um, nice. You know, the, uh, we're so, we're so proud of the mud bugs and what the mud bugs do, um, on really a shoestring. And, uh, there's a lot that could be done with that facility that would enhance the mud bugs experience, but we wouldn't do it just for that. It would be for other, other venues and, and other entertainment projects. The, themselves, so um, there's just a lot that can be done with with that facility that's already there in a wonderful location. Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault, one more segment. Sure, uh, you're you're the best. Uh, we'll be back after the break. Mike and McCarty, back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. One oh one seven FM seven ten Keel, Mike and McCarty, Lewis R. Abalone in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty. We're talking with Shreveport Mayor Tom Arsenault in studio with us. First of all, I can't thank you enough for coming in. We love it when you come in. I, I love to come in and I as as I've told you, I go where I'm invited. Well, I appreciate that. Uh one thing I want to ask about is the our police department. We're down one hundred and forty officers just just with a staffing number, that's not counting officers out on leave, uh, officers, right. on, you know, that, that aren't on the streets for various reasons. Um, obviously, you're in close contact with Shreveport Police Chief Wayne Smith. Are, what are you guys, what are you working on to help? And, and I, I, I know it boils down to money. You, we've got to be able to pay officers to come work in the city of Shreveport. Some of, some of it does boil down to money and we're working on some proposals, uh, that will be, uh, that will be a part of the 2024 budget. Uh, but, uh, some of it is also, um, we've restructured the recruiting, uh, folks. Um, we found some police officers who were in other positions who have a real passion for recruiting. And have shown success recruiting even under the circumstances that we have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they are multi-talented officers and therefore their skills were being used somewhere else. We decided that, uh, uh, the chief decided that those were people 
that needed to be in charge of uh, in charge of recruiting, and we think we'll see fruit from that. The second thing we're doing is uh, we had really not set aside a, a substantial budget for recruiting for them to go to the job fairs and the places that they need to go um, to recruit both existing officers from other forces as well as as well as young people and you will see a substantial recruiting budget in the 2024 budget for the police department uh so i think those will begin to uh those will begin to to play a part and you'll have to reach out like other markets and, other and markets correct right. and we, you know basically it's been you know wherever you can go for a tank of gas and we need to be we need to broaden uh, broaden our scope of that and the the police chief agreed and uh, we're I, I think over the next six or seven months we'll see some improvement in that because we have a number of officers retiring at the end of this year well there'll be some actually some senior leadership retiring at the end of this year and uh, we'll, they'll people will move up. Uh, to those positions so we'll have new leadership there and then we'll need to fill in the gaps uh, from the existing police people and hopefully a couple of uh, uh, 20 or 25 cadet classes of recru- of uh, trainees for next year. Nice. Yeah, we definitely need them. Did, Absolutely. Did... Um, well, I just I just went completely blank. I looked at Lewis and I just went completely blank. <laughs> He'll do that to you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, so, Mayor, uh, you know, going forward, uh, you've been in office uh, for eight months. Eight months now. Eight months tomorrow. What What has been eight months really? What has been the biggest surprise of being in office? You know, it's one thing to campaign for the office and to be on the outside looking in. What has been the biggest surprise for you on the inside? Uh, how how much difference the team at the top makes, uh, and I feel like uh, with our with our city attorney, our chief administrative officer, our chief financial officer, and and the mayor, I think we have a really good e- uh, team. Uh, to to lead the department heads, the department heads are doing well in their uh, in their jobs, and uh, and many of them were the people who were there before, and uh, I, I I just think it makes a difference uh, to be on task and have an agenda and to have regular expectations of those department heads, and they respond to that. So that's been a real positive. It's not really a surprise, but it, uh, cause I expected, I, I hoped that that would happen. I guess the surprise is it appears to have happened. Now, uh, we know we're dealing with dry conditions right now. We're dealing with, uh, you know, n- no rainfall. Uh, we had William Daniel on last week and he said our water situation is in good shape. It is, uh, you know, uh, interestingly, we, if you look at the average rainfall for this time of year, we're still about six inches up. Uh, so we had That's a very, surprising. It, it is, we had yeah. a very wet winter and spring. And so we were able to do it. I, I think that, that, uh, Mr. Daniel and his crew have done a superb job managing the level of Cross Lake, which is our big deal. Now we were concerned about it this, this, couple of inches of rain we had uh, a, a couple of days ago 
really, really helped us. And uh, so if we can get a little bit more rain uh, in the early part of September, then then we really will stay in very good shape. And I, I, I really have to say there are some people who have criticized the management of Cross Lake. But I'll tell you, over this year, I think that, that William Daniel and his crew have done a fantastic job managing the level of the lake so that we don't have to get to even voluntary conservation measures. Now, and I understand uh, this hasn't been announced, but you're running for sheriff? Is that right? <laughs> I am not running for sheriff. I am not. I, I am I am planning to run for re-election, but I'm not, I'm not planning to run for sheriff. Uh, Mayor, thank you so much for coming in this morning. <laughs> it's Appreciate my pleasure. It. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the committee. The first meeting is, Louis, you tomorrow. said tomorrow. Tomorrow at 5 o'clock. Fantastic. We'll look, uh, we'll look forward to hearing what everybody has to say. Mayor Tom Arsenault in the studio, Mike and McCarty with Louis R. Avalon. Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Louis R. Avalone in studio for the vacationing Aaron McCarty, Mike and McCarty. I'm Mike Martindale, by the way. I'm not Louis. Say good I, I don't think anyone would <laughs> okay. confuse you for me. I'd You're work, a professional. But we, but we look so much alike, Louis. <laughs> well, that's true. It's We're we twins. We'd be more opposite. Hard for folks to distinguish us. You you uh, you shared some good news with me um, about uh, uh, Loyola. Is is he still a sophomore? No. No, no. he's 23. He's that's a, right. He's on his way to med school. Yeah, Lo- Loyola graduate. LSU graduate. Jack Smith. In fact, he's on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. Jack, good morning. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Well, we're doing well. You put off med school. Tell me why you put off med school. You just, uh, golly, I can't believe you can hit a golf ball the way you can. Yes, sir. I had plans to pursue med school, and when I had the opportunity to give long long drive a a shot, it would have been something I think I would have regretted in my life. And, you know, people always say you don't want to have regrets. And I just imagine uh, going through the med school process, and that's a very uh, very hard thing to do, doing med school. And I just figured my free time would probably be limited, and that's something I would not be able to pursue again. And, you know, my body's just going to keep aging and getting older. And Yeah, that happens. So this is a tour. This is the long drive tour, right? I, I didn't even know this existed. And yes, sir. He, I, uh, he won. Yeah, he won the World Long Drive Kingsport Championship uh, up in Tennessee uh, over the last couple of days. Four hundred yards. Four hundred and what was it, uh, Jack? It was four hundred three yards, right? Yes, sir. That was the longest ball of the tournament, and I think prior to that, it was four hundred one yards by Kyle Berkshire at uh, in day one on Sunday. But I was also able to match that. In my semifinal match, before my 403 yards, I hit it 401, as well as in the final match against Kyle, I also hit it 401 yards. So how does it feel to be a rookie and taking home the win at the first major tour event, defeating the number one, Martin Borgmeier, and the world champion number two, Kyle Berkshire? I mean, that's that's a pretty awesome feeling. It, it's still surreal. It's, I'm still trying to aid it in setting in because everything's kind of happened so fast, being only my fourth tournament. 
and the way things have gone, the narrative couldn't have set up better for me in this major championship for the first event back on Golf Channel, uh, where I got to showcase my talent against the two top players in the world currently. So, um, you know, I try to watch the video back and see if I can help it set in a little faster, but it, it's been unbelievable so, so far. So what's next for you? Is we med school still in the future? Oh, yes, sir. It, it, it's definitely still there. Uh, GPA is locked in once you graduate, and I'm still planning. I think my MCAT score is good for, I think it's about six years. So whenever I'm ready, uh, depending on how the long drive path goes, I will I might reapply to med school and add that to my resume that I was a world long drive professional. So we'll we'll see, though. Well, that's exciting news, Jack. Congratulations, and uh, we wish you the best. Well, I appreciate y'all having me on. Thank y'all. Yes, sir. Jack Smith, uh, a long drive champion. and uh, From Shreveport. From Shreveport, Louisiana. That's fantastic. Thank you, Jack. 1017F. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. By the way, I do want to thank Mayor Tom Arsenault for coming in studio again, sharing uh, a lot of time with us. You got appointed to this this uh, bond proposal committee. Um, he said 19 people are going to be on the committee. He's yeah. waiting for, I think, one more councilman to uh, uh, to bring forth his two. Yeah, I, my appointment, I, I'm not quite sure that's a validation of the of the process whatsoever, <laughs> the fact that I'm on there, but I, I certainly am am honored uh, to be on there, and you know I look forward to uh, contributing my opinion, as I hope that all of the committee members uh, will, because that's what the mayor is after in the first place, and the fact that he said these meetings will be public, mm-hmm. I think it's very very important. Now, previous administrations have done a dog and pony show where they've gone around to various neighborhoods in order to advertise for the bond but this being transparent in the in the spirit of transparency of bringing sunlight into city hall i think it's very refreshing that the mayor said these bond committee meetings with these members that were essentially appointed Mm -hmm. by the city council even though it is the mayor's committee. Well, 14 will be city council appointees. And, and five, five, his. five of his. But I, I think that's refreshing because that's what we need at City Hall. We need sunlight. We need transparency. Absolutely. But we, we need to rebuild that trust with our, our local city government. And how many meetings are, are scheduled? Do you know? You know I don't know. Uh, you know, tomorrow will be the first, uh, the, so you'll get the inaugural meeting. So I'm sure we'll get a packet of information uh, indicating what the proposed schedule, the number of meetings. Now, will this meeting tomorrow be open to the public? I'm I'm certain that it will. Where be. will it be, and do you know when? It's at well, this one, uh, as I understand it, is in the mayor's conference room. So okay. I will need to find that. Not quite sure I've ever been to the mayor's conference room. Nice at City yeah. Hall. And, I'll and let you know if there's snacks and like- <laughs> drinks. I don't, I don't know. Did I look like I need a snack or something? No, I, oh my I, just, gosh. I was just letting you know about the amenities. <laughs> That's all. And, you know, come on. So what time tomorrow? Do we uh, know? I think it's 5 o'clock. 
oh, okay. thirty, something like that. Oh, okay. And and I'll, I'll get that information. I, I have that in an email here. I wasn't so quite prepared for that. He was sorry. He was That's saying okay. um, that that he wants input on on you know what to be in, uh, included in this bond proposal. So what what would you bring forth? Oh goodness. You know, are, are you going to talk to people and get ideas, or do you have ideas? You know, I don't know that it's so much a specific. I wonder what project. Aaron would want. Uh, maybe paving <laughs> Night <she>? Street. <laughs> uh, maybe throwing some money at the lighting along I twenty. Mayor mentioned they have other plans for Night Street. Did you hear that? Did I you did catch hear that. that. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I meant to ask him about that, but we, maybe we there's a so private donor that will underwrite that project i'm not quite sure but no seriously you know for me it's not so much a specific project as the spirit in which this bond proposition will be made because we know you 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 didn't allude you mentioned the last administration and the bond proposals that uh, we voted on um during the last administration failed miserably and a lot of people said, look, that's a referendum against the administration, that administration at the time. I think five out of six failed. Okay. The only thing that passed was the uh, police and fire. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Have that information now. So the first meeting of the Capital Improvements Committee will be Thursday, August 31st at 5 p.m. in the mayor's conference room on the second floor of Government Plaza. Okay. And uh and so anybody's welcome to attend. I, that's what the mayor said. It's, it's I'm not in I mean I don't want to step out of line. I'm not inviting folks, but the mayor said that the meetings were, were open, open to, to the public. Open to the public. So I presume that the public is invited. Well, uh It I, doesn't say in this meeting don't tell anyone about this. <laughs> Keep this just between us. Right. Right. Well, that, well, congratulations on that appointment. Well, thanks. And just to be clear, this bond issue that we're talking about, of course, will not be on the ballot this fall. We're talking about oh, no, a bond issue that will be on the ballot in the spring of 2024. Because there's a lot of work that needs to be done to, uh, like what he just said, determine what needs to go into the bond issue. Absolutely. So, yeah, Louis R. Avalone. Well, congratulations on that, and you're going to have to keep us posted. Oh, absolutely. I'd be glad to. Let, let us know, yeah, because you're not scheduled. You won't be here tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. Not tomorrow, but uh, but I'd be glad to uh, yeah. glad to call in. I'll, yeah, I'll, we'll find out about the meeting. All right, so we're going to take a break. 101.7 FM. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Lewis R. Avalone in studio and uh, Stephen Parr going to join us also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. you're here. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again today. Uh, we didn't, we wanted to talk about the uh, Bozier term limit vote that took place in the city council meeting yesterday yeah the city council were you surprised no i I wasn't surprised that politicians don't want term limits but i had hoped they would have chosen to reflect to do the will of the people a lot i I think a lot of people are unhappy with with their elected officials right now in bozier city you know and there were some city council members one in particular who said i'm for term limits but we need to do it right and was the, the reference there Maggio, right? it, it, i believe so uh, the reference there is to the question 
of the signatures that were gathered uh, on the petition to put this term limit initiative on the ballot, that those signatures did not include the birth dates of those signing. However, it did include the voter registration number mm-hmm. of those who had signed. And, of course, if you look at the voter registration number, you get a whole host of information, not just the birth date, but you get addresses and validation of all sorts of other information. And were there like 1,300 signatures? Is uh, that it was what? almost 3,000. 3,000. 3,000. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so here's the thing. If you want to follow the law and you feel like that the signatures were not validated properly by the clerk, the city council can still put this on the ballot by just passing an ordinance and putting the vote before the people. Clearly, there were a overwhelming number of signatures that were needed, more than the minimum threshold to put an initiative on the ballot. And why the city council wouldn't respect the will of the people, it's not beyond me. And wasn't the list certified by the registrar of voters? It it was, but by the clerk. And And by the way, whose job is it to to certify the the signatures? Is it the city council's job to certify the signatures? No, it's Uh -uh. the clerk's job. So the city council is refusing to do their job because they're insisting on doing someone else's job and doing it poorly. Right, there would need to be a lawsuit against the clerk saying that she improperly certified those signatures and instead there's probably going to be a lawsuit against the city because the city council has failed to do what the city charter says they should do which is put the amendment on the ballot that's what the city charter says they're supposed to do there's a time frame you have to do it within these number of days they've missed that window and there, though, yeah there will be a lawsuit against the city so who would bring a lawsuit for it? the people who signed the signature the the, okay. the petition the, the petitions the organizers of the petition for them to have gone through all that effort to have gotten all those signatures, to do something that the people actually want done, and the city council goes, eh, I don't think so. And then be refused on a technicality. Right. If, if in fact, there is any technicality whatsoever. So that would be the Bozier Term Limits Coalition. They are the ones that gathered all of the signatures. But again... And this has support from the mayor, oh, yeah. Tommy Chandler. Tommy Chandler is yes. in complete support. And to the people that were elected to the city council this last time around actually campaigned on term limits. So, and we can talk about this next hour because when I said yesterday on the show, you need to run every single one of your political opinions through the lens of the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. Right now, not only is the city council in Bossier City in violation of their own city charter, they are in violation of the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. That is the very idea this country was founded upon. They are doing something that goes against the idea of America itself. I will show it to you in the words coming up next hour. Stephen Parr, Louis R. Avalone in studio. Uh, Louis, you're going to be departing. Thank you for your time this morning. Absolutely. Coming up next hour, Scott McKay. If you've read The Hayride, he's publisher and one of the writers for The Hayride. And uh, he's got an interesting book, The Revivalist Manifesto. We're going to talk to him after the news. 1017 FM, 710 Key.
710 Keel, Mike and McCarty. Stephen Parr in studio graciously accepted my invitation to come in. Thank you, sir. Man, I get to play on the radio? I, I love oh, doing Yeah, that. like it's new for you. I love it. Uh, uh, you and Lewis do a great job with American Ground. Uh, I've been looking Thank forward you. to this. Um, Scott McKay, uh, one of the authors and publishers of The Hayride, Southern Political website, but he's also got a book out that I found fascinating. Uh, Scott, good morning, first of all. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate your time. Uh, the Revivalist Manifesto. You, you, I just thought it was so interesting how you took the history of our country and broke it into different eras. Um, explain a little bit of that, uh, about how you came up with that. Well, it's actually that wasn't my idea. There's a guy in uh, in uh, uh, up on the East Coast named James Pearson, who's a, a historian of note, um, uh, who's a b- absolutely brilliant guy, and he he kind of coined the uh, uh, the the notion that American history, you know, has three distinct eras, and that the third one is ending. Um, which is, and at the end of all of these eras, you go through the kind of dysfunction and, and civil, I don't want to say unrest quite yet, but, uh, civil unease, let's say, um, you know, before something new, uh, pops open. I mean, the first era basically went from the founding of the country to the civil war. The second went from, uh, you know, basically reconstruction to, uh, Essentially, the 1932 election in the middle of the Depression, and then the third one is sort of marked by the, you know, FDR, New Deal, right. slash Great Society, all of all of that, you know, and, and what you see at the ends of these eras is, is the institutions and the, the consensus that uh, was formed out of the times at the beginning of the era just kind of breaks down because it doesn't work anymore. Um, and then, you know, you have to find a new consensus. And I think it's it's probably a more accurate and certainly more hopeful way to look at things uh, than sort of this um, Eeyore-type uh, malaise that especially a lot of people on the right uh, have kind of settled into that the country is ending. I, I, we've been in worse shape than we are now. That's um, hard to imagine, needed- though, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, we haven't had 600,000 people dying in a civil war yet. So, uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there is a certain degree of, of, you know, us thinking things are, are probably worse than they are, which is not to say you don't have to turn things around because institutionally and culturally, we may be weaker than we've been, uh, in any of these other, uh, these other times. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the civil war, if you think about it, was, you know, the North and South both prayed to the same God. Um, they both believed in the foundational principles of the country. And if you're going to really take it out to 50,000 feet, you know, that war was about the application of those principles um, more so than whether the principles were any good. And I'm not sure we have a total buy-in on those principles right now. So that's an issue that certainly, you know, doesn't, uh, mitigate all that well. Um, but on the other hand, and, and I say this in the book, um, and, and I don't think that events since the book came out have disproven this. Uh, well, that was going to be a are, question, yes. Yeah, the people who are in charge of the country now are not the most competent and successful folks you can find. 
<laughs> now, you so, say the third era is ending. We're, we're seeing the end of the third. What is the third era? Well, uh, the third era began with FDR's victory over Herbert Hoover in 1932 and the inception of the New Deal. So, in other words, it's a big government, uh, say, corporatist uh, era, you know, in which, uh, um, you know, carries with it. And, and a very adventuresome foreign policy, very internationalist, um, you know, but moving toward globalist. Uh, and a lot of these things are simply, I mean, they don't work anymore and they're not popular anymore. So, you know, the welfare state, the regulatory state, you know, I, the previous two eras in American history had nothing like this. Um, and so the question is, you know, it doesn't work anymore. The country's going broke trying to pay for all this stuff. But the Democrats it, or the left wants to hold on to that that theme, don't they? Well, no. Actually, I would. What I would say is, there's going to be a fourth era, and what you know, their vision for the fourth era is essentially communist China, uh, with the you know with the you know social credit scores and the surveillance state and uh, a sharp, sharp, sharp diminution of free speech. Um, whereas, you know, the other side, which I guess is us, you know, the center right, uh, would like a, a return to something more like the first or second eras where there's a lot more individualism, a lot more, um, civil society, you know, in other words, people making voluntary associations to achieve some of the social goods that we've been asking for government to do. Um, and obviously a lot more freedom. So, and that you know, there's really not a lot of uh, of consensus to be had between the two sides. One of them is going to have to win. And one of the themes, the theme of the book is that it's not over for conservatism. Am, am I correct in that? I, I, I'm absolutely so. And and just to give you a uh, a little bit of a uh, I guess anecdotal sort of on the ground um, explanation of that. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm the director of the Louisiana Freedom Caucus PAC, which is uh, formed to support the folks in the uh, Freedom Caucus in the state legislature. And we've been, you know, we're going to do a lot of work trying to help Freedom Caucus affiliated uh, candidates in this race. And I have never seen more fire breathing conservative Republicans who are dedicated to the cause running for the state legislature and actually doing the things that you know that usually uh, uh, produce victory. Uh, I, you're going to see in Louisiana a a real red wave, and uh, I mean I, the people are ready for it because they've gotten a taste of of what the Democrats have on offer, even here in a red state. I mean, John Bell Edwards locked Louisiana down. He's doubled the size of the budget. He strangled the private economy, and people are sick and tired of it. And the the level of enthusiasm at a grassroots level, not the Mitch McConnell, you know, GOP establishment in Washington that everybody's disgusted with, uh, but at the grassroots level, I actually think the Republican Party is probably healthier than it's been in a long time. Trump had a lot to do with it, but, you know, there was a movement in place that, that pre-existed Trump. Uh, he just, I think, breathed a lot more life into it, and now I think it's bigger than Trump. We're talking with Scott McKay, author of The Revivalist Manifesto. Scott, can you hold on with us through another segment? Because I've got, I've got sure. lots of questions, and I know Stephen does as well. Absolutely, sure. We'll be back after the break. 101.7 FM. 
back to the big stories of the day with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Kiel. Mike and McCarty with Stephen Parr in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty on the Jack Spring Electric Newsmaker Hotline. Scott McKay, author of the Revivalist Manifesto, uh, one of the authors and publishers of the Hayride website. Scott, the book Revivalist Manifesto did come out last year before the midterm elections, and you were more optimistic, or we were all more optimistic than the results netted. So... How do we recover from that? You, you well, mentioned a red wave a moment ago in Louisiana, which I'm encouraged. But how how did that does that affect your your way of thinking today? That we didn't get that red wave. Well, interestingly enough, uh, as soon as the book came out um, last year, I got uh, an offer from a, a different publisher uh, to do a book about, and it's going to be out next month, to do a book about Barack Obama and his effect on uh, American culture, economics, and politics over really over the last 15 years and, and the fact that it's continuing. Um, so, you know, next month, <laughs> you may have me back on and we'll be talking about like the opposite subject. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, I tell people about the book and everybody's like, oh, yeah, because I don't believe Biden's running the country at all, right? Um, and, you know, so it's, I think we're still sort of in the team. And that's Obama. been the big question. Who is actually running the country? The man can't find his way off of a stage. Don't tell me he's yeah, making not. huge decisions that affect our country. No, no, but nobody thinks he is. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's some, uh, combination of, you know, the team Obama crowd that was still there. I mean, these people that like the other day, I saw Jim Messina turn back up on, on Fox News talking about how empathetic Joe Biden was uh, uh, when he went to Maui and told this this stupid story about the kitchen fire at his house and how that relates to, like, people in Maui losing everything. All he's concerned like, about is his next ice cream cone. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's like well, I, I, you know, I, I thought Jim Messina had fallen off the face of the earth, and here he is back shilling for Joe Biden. You know, like he used to show for Obama and was like, nothing has changed. These people, it's just they just reshuffled the deck. But it's the same team um, that, that you know, is is running things and, and handling the politics and all of that. So, you know, who actually is president? I don't know. My guess is a call uh, goes out from that house in uh, in Calorama and whatever the substance of that call is turns into American policy. Um you know, and, and the biggest well, one of the things I said in the book was that if you're going to have an American revival, if you're going to begin this fourth era, you know, on good terms rather than the country descending into essentially Chinese communism, um, it, it's going to take a Republican Party which is capable of keying that revival. And I think what you saw last year in the midterms, even though, you know, there were some successes mostly in the house you had very little in the senate um and, and i would place a ton of blame on this on mitch mcconnell um and the sandbagging that he did of his own caucus by putting money in places where it de definitively would not produce uh republicans or conservatives in the senate um and, and and you know the fact that mcconnell is the least popular figure in washington um like I, I think the republican party is not good enough 
at this point to key that revival. Scott, that actually leads going me to take people percolating upward. Scott, that actually leads me to the next question I have because you talk about the three different eras that we've been in in American history. You go from the from the first era from the Revo- from the American Revolution to the beginning of the Civil War. In in the fall of 1860, it was not clear whether we would remain one nation or whether we would be two nations. So as you end that first era that you talk about and head into the second era, the outcome was quite clearly not obvious. The outcome was up in the air. If we are ending the third era and heading into the fourth era, you could say we're, we're essentially sitting here in the fall of 1860 again. The future of this country is not clear. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, and I think in 1932, it was very similar as well, right? Um, nobody knew what the future of capitalism would be on, uh, on the basis of that. So, yeah, I think we're getting we're getting very close to the point where the, we're going to have uh, a fourth era in American politics or American history. And it's I think it's either going to be really great or it'll be really terrible. Um, and, you know, I like. This is just a context to place it in when, you know, when people talk about, you know, look, if the Republicans don't win in 2024, it's over. Um, it may not be over, but essentially what you're talking about is a fourth era that looks a whole heck of a lot like, you know, 20, 2008 to 2016 and then the last four years, um, you know, which is kind of scary. Um, and it should show you what the stakes are. But, no, those were the stakes in 1860, well, you, and those were the stakes in 1932. Well, you can almost say, then, the fourth era began in 2016 or, t- or 2008, which, well, is, which is really I mean, scary. Yeah. I mean, that, like, that, that is sort of where, you know, where we are. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that the book talks about is you could have had a, uh, a changeover in eras uh, following the 1980 election, but there was not a Republican Party behind Ronald Reagan that was good enough to keep Reagan's revolution going. And that and correlation. So when he was done his 88 years, you went, you know, to the Bushes who drove the country right back into the third era, and nothing has worked since, really. So, changing gears just a little bit, the the situation with uh, former President Donald Trump. How, how do, how do you see, in your estimation, that playing out? I, I, here's the thing. I make no assumptions about 2024 in any way right now. Um, because, you know, they, they want to do these, at least these federal trials in March of next year right, yeah. when the Republican primaries are going on. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of that, I think, is to just make it so inconvenient for Donald Trump to try to run for president that he'd drop out. Um you know, and, and that would be like sort of a, a narrative that the DeSantis folks are, are hoping will will take on. And it's not unreasonable. But, you know, the counter to that is, yeah, well, then we'll get the trials of Ron DeSantis for putting those folks on a plane and sending them to Martha's Vineyard and the other places. And they'll call that kidnapping. Uh, and, and, you know, some some D.A. somewhere is going to in California or something is going to go put him on trial uh, for that. Right. I mean, you know, this Democrat Party is no longer moored to the kinds of customs and conventions that we've set up in a constitutional republic. I mean, it's you know, it's much more sort of a Lavrenti Beria, show me the man and I'll show you the crime type of thing. Um, And, you know, that's that's very, 
you know, bad fourth era is what that is rather than, you know, third mm-hmm. era. So so in the last uh, you know, minute or so, Scott, uh, Scott McKay, author of the Revivalist Manifesto, uh, how should how should conservatives and I won't say Republicans because that can be two very different things. But how right. should conservatives take heart in what can we do? I mean, I know, I know obviously vote. Well, I, I, you know, yeah, obviously vote and, and, you know, get everybody that you know to go vote and evangelize these people because I think that's very doable. Everybody's disgusted with the way things are. Um, but I, you know, I think the big thing is, is, you know, get on the phone to your elected officials and tell them to get aggressive, you know, because the left tends not to do very well when they get in a, in, in a real fight. It's usually they want to, I mean, this was the whole point of cancel culture and everything else is to back us off so they don't have to defend what they're doing. And we've let them get away with it way too often, and it's time to fight back. Scott McKay, thank you so much for your time this morning, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon, and I'm looking forward to your new book. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Thank you. 101.7 FM 7. Back with more of Mike and McCarty on 101.7 FM and 710 Keel. And in studio with Stephen Parr from American Ground Radio, we're going to talk about the Bossier term limit vote from yesterday. Bossier City Council uh, voted it down. Four council members voted it down again. And uh, Stephen Parr's got some pretty strong feelings on that. Uh, yeah, and honestly, it goes against the idea of America itself. I'm going to point it out how it goes. It violates what's in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence, the very idea this nation was founded upon, and the whole purpose for government. They don't understand what their job actually is, and, and I'll, I'll show it to you in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. We'll unpack that right after the break. Mike and McCarty, 101.7 FM. Let's get back to the show with Mike and McCarty on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. In studio with Stephen Parr from American Ground Radio in for the vacationing Aaron McCarty, Mike and McCarty. Now, this uh, Bossier City uh, City Council, and I know the Shreveport City Council members right now are going, yes. They're talking about somebody else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But they voted, uh, uh, four council members voted not to uh, move forward with the term limit election. Right. They 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 didn't want to put it on the ballot. And let the people decide. Now, I said yesterday on the show, you should take every single political idea you have and run it through the lens of the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. We say on the show all the time, America is the first country that's founded on an idea, right? Okay. Well, if that's true, you should be able to see the idea written down somewhere at the founding. If mm-hmm. we were founded on an idea, you should be able to see the idea. It sits in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. That's the sentence that says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit, not, not, not happiness itself. Not happiness. By the way, it, we can get into why there is no such thing as a, a right to Medicare. You do not have a right to medicine. You have a right to pursue your health, but that's a different story. Thank you. Okay, so governments are instituted among men to to secure those rights. Uh, and, and it says that they derive their just power from the consent of the governed. All right. So think about that. A the governed. The, not governed. the government. A, the governed. A government gets just power. All right. Now, they, they have all the power that they want. But if they're not doing what the people give them the consent to do, then what they're doing is exercising, by definition, unjust power. Now, quite clearly, the people in Bossier City have turned in this petition 
with what nearly three thousand signatures, which was which was certified by the clerk as being valid. Okay, so this is a valid pat petition. That's the will of the people, and the city charter says that you have to either pass that ordinance within 30 days or get it on the ballot within 90. That also is the will of the people because the city charter was voted upon by the people back in the day. Yes? Okay, so we know what the we know what the will of the people, the consent of the people actually is. And yet the city council has done the opposite of the consent of the people. They refused to pass the ordinance on their own, which they had the power to do, and they refused to put it on the uh, on the ballot within 90 days. Now, from my understanding, they could have passed it without this petition. They didn't need the petition. They don't need these 3,000 signatures. The petition is simply the people saying this is what we would consent to. It's it's a it's a quite clear definition of what the people are asking you to do. And if you go, you know what? I don't know if the if all of the people. This is just some of the people in Bozier. I don't know if all the people would be in favor of term limits. That's fine. Put it on the ballot. That's how you and find let out. the people find out. Instead, this city council is going. No, I am going to protect my power. I am going to protect my right to stay in office longer. In, in perpetuity, until I'm as old as Joe Biden, I get to stay in this position. That goes against the will of the people, the consent of the people. What does no. the Declaration of Independence say when you're doing something that goes against the consent of the people? It's unjust power. Now, the argument could be, well, they don't they don't. They won't stay in office if it's not the consent of the people because they will be elected out in four years. And there is a good argument to that, to which the people in Bossier City need to understand your elected officials have no desire to do your will. And, and they're not need doing to remember what you this to. in four years. Right. How their their elected official voted in this moment. This city right. council is not only violating the consent of the people, this city council is violating the idea of America itself. We were the first country founded on an idea. That idea is in the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence. It says that governments get just power from the consent of the governed. This city council is obviously not doing what the people have asked them to do. That means they are exercising unjust power. That is un-American. That goes against the reason this country was founded. See, that's why I'm saying the second sentence of the Declaration of independence isn't just something for Thomas Jefferson. It's not just something for Benjamin Franklin. It doesn't just reply to the federal government. This applies to state governments. This applies to your local government. This applies to your homeowners association. It says governments are instituted among men. It doesn't say a federal government is instituted among men. It's any form of government. And furthermore, and this is where the people in the city council really need to check their privilege at this point. Because it says that any form of government that becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish that government. When the city council in Bossier City is not doing what the people in Bossier City have told it they want them to do, it is now the right of the people, according to the idea of America, to alter or to abolish that city council. Now, this means we definitely need term limits now in Bossier City because the people that are on that board are more interested in their power than in the consent of the governed. So that city council needs to be altered in some way, shape, or form, if not completely abolished and start over. Now, the the reason the city council gave was there were no date of births next to the names on the petition. 
So could the the formers of the petition mm-hmm. go back and go, guys, we need you to re-sign this and let's put your birth date and then present that? They could. And then the city council would come up with another excuse. Because well, I'd be interested to see if that happened. Be, but see, there's no point in doing that because the city council's wrong. The city council is wrong. The voter ID number is next to the name. If you look right. at the voter ID number, it lists the birth. And furthermore, it is not the city council's job to certify the petition. That was the clerk's job, and the and clerk did their job. The clerk certified their job. Now the city council is trying to not only usurp unjust power, they're trying to not to just do something that the people object to. Mm-hmm. They're now trying to usurp the power of the clerk themselves. See, this is a this is a form of government that has become destructive of these rights. It has become destructive of the rights of the people because they refuse to do what the people are asking them to do. And they're trying to not only usurp the power of the people themselves, they're trying to usurp the power of the clerk, another another part of government. They don't have the right to do that. That was up to the clerk. It, it, read the city charter. It doesn't say the city council can either pass the amendment on itself or pass a ballot initiative on itself or tell the clerk to go pound sand. It doesn't say that. It says you either get to, to pass the ordinance within 30 days or put it on the ballot within 90. It doesn't say you go back and double check the work that the clerk did. So, uh, well, I want to find out next step. we got to take a break. 101.7 FM 7. Now more breaking news and trending talk with Mike and McCarthy on 101.7 FM and 710 Kiel. In studio with Stephen Parr from American Ground Radio. In for the vacationing Aaron McCarty, 101.7 FM, 710 Kiel. Stephen, so in lieu uh, or, or instead of the... the uh, framers of the um, petition mm-hmm. going and getting signatures the way the council wanted them, right? Which, like you illustrated, that's that that's unnecessary. Well, and it's not the council's job. It's not the council's job. It's to, the clerk's job. Which the clerk did their job. The clerk said it's not, it's fine. So, what's the next step? Lawsuits. Uh, I, now, the the organizers of the petition are still hoping they don't have to do a lawsuit. Okay, and I think that speaks to their character because you know who wants to go around filing lawsuits all the time. But the problem is, is when your government is unresponsive to you, and the government is violating the city charter in order to not listen and not do the will of the people, then at some point, yeah, you've got to bring in another branch of government. We have three different branches of government in most governments in in the United States, including the city of Bossier City. You've got the mayor, that's the executive. You've got the legislative, that is the city council. Well, we also have a judicial branch. And the mayor has tried to get the, the city council to do what it's supposed to do. The people have tried to get the city council to do what it's supposed to do. Those things haven't worked so far. Well, that pretty much leaves the next option, which is asking the judicial branch to make the city council do what the city charter says it should do. And that means a lawsuit. So the people on the city council, not only are they violating the will of the people right now, the clearly expressed will of the people, not only are they violating the letter of the charter, but they're also now going to cost the people of the city of Bossier City Money, because they're going to have to defend an indefensible position and they're going to be paying for those court costs. 
They're going to be paying for lawyers, and they're going to have to. You know, you could come up with a fine type of thing on this. I mean, if the if the if the judicial branch goes, man, the city was egregiously wrong. They could file fines against them. So, so the the people on the city council now, not only are you violating the will of the people, but you're robbing the wallets of the people too, because ultimately that that, that money to defend the lawsuit. That they shouldn't have to defend because they should just do the right thing. That money is going to come from the taxpayers. It doesn't come from the members on the city council. So they're taking from the people in order to violate the will of the people. In order, <laughs> that's crazy. But that's what happens with power. When you start to believe you deserve the power you have, you lose empathy. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a power position, when your job is to serve the people and yet you've lost empathy for the people, then you don't care about serving the people. You care about protecting your power. That's what this boils down to, in my opinion. And, and, and we've seen that illustrated on a local level. That's time and time again. And that's why understanding the second sentence of the Declaration of Independence is so important. Every single political argument can be looked at through the second sentence. What does what did the founding of this country say was the proper role of government? Where do our rights come from? What should government do? See, the, the people in the city council right now, the, the four that voted against this, they're focused on what can they do to stop term limits? What can we do? They should be focused on what should we be doing mm-hmm. right now as members of the city council. And what they should be doing is following the will of the people and following the law. Those are the bottom. I mean, that those is, are basic tenets. That's that's your job. That's it. That And if you can't follow the law and if you can't follow the will of the people, why should you be in a position of power? And the people who are voters in Bossier City need to keep that in mind next time they go to the polls. Stephen Parr in for Aaron McCarty. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. 101.7 FM.